welcome to Soulful Quests. In today's episode, we will explore a fundamental aspect of our lives, the need to belong. Join me as we look into the psychology behind this desire and its profound impact on our relationships, mental well-being, and overall fulfillment. In their groundbreaking article, The Need to Belong, Roy Baumeister and Mark Leary established that we have a fundamental human motivation, the need to belong. We have a drive to form at least a small number of lasting positive and significant relationships. The fact that we're motivated to form these bonds is not new. Who hasn't heard of the phrase, no one is an island? It is interesting to note that belonging is a need, not just a want. Now you may be saying to yourself, how am I going to find time out of my busy life to belong to anything? I've had a good life without feeling I need to belong. There's, this is more of a luxury than a need. But there is a neural science connected to our need to belong. Our brains are wired for connection. Without getting into the intricate details of how parts of the brain operate with the need to belong, suffice it to say that the next time you feel that warmth of connection or the sting of isolation, remember, it's not just a feeling. It's neural activity in brain regions related to the need to belong. As I read the article about the need to belong, I found an example in it that hit close to home in my life, particularly going back to when I was 17 years old. The authors mentioned a person who tried to satisfy their need to belong by being heavily involved in an ideological extremist group. In my case, it was a religious group, and it had characteristics of a cult. Now, that group is still in existence today, and if they heard that, I, that they had characteristics of a cult, they would be furious. They would be deeply offended and upset, but they had the characteristics. But it was my need to belong that motivated me to join this group where I lived for one year. They were situated back in the woods in a camp setting. Members had very small units to live in. Our day was filled with work, such as raking leaves, doing plastering work, installing carpeting, cutting down trees, using a chainsaw, and even putting shingles on a church roof that was located in the city. And there was a strict dress code that had to be uh, abided by even when you were working. So the, the women had to have their hair pinned back, no makeup, no jewelry, dresses with long sleeves and a length below the knees, and no open-toed shoes. The men wore long-sleeved shirts, and during services they wore suits, no matter how hot it was. The group was founded and led by family members who lived in beautiful houses with exquisite interiors. This was in stark contrast to how we had to live. Our day was planned. We were up at 7 in the morning to go to the chapel to pray for an hour. Then we went to the cafeteria where we had our breakfast. 
Then our workday began with breaks for lunch and dinner. Being a teenager and very impressionable, I was in awe with the family leaders because they exuded a type of positive spiritual authority I had never seen before. I didn't question what I was taught. Independent thinking was not encouraged. So by obeying them, I was obeying God. But I met some very nice people there, and I began to feel a certain sense of belonging. The summers were exciting because that's when hundreds of people would come for the services every day, and they would be in a building called the Tabernacle. Now, this was a structure that had a roof, and in the roof there was like an attic with windows and its own roof, and people overflow that came to the camp meeting in the summer could be placed in the attic part with cots so that they could sleep and then go downstairs to the meetings. And everything was open air. They had theater-like seats uh, all below, and then they had the front stage, and everything was open. If it rained and it was windy, that came right in upon us. So they did this uh, for for the summer, and at the end of the summer, you know, the people went home, and as fall came, many members began making plans to travel to various parts of the world for evangelization purposes. Well, I was a very adventuresome young person, and I was in on doing that. I didn't know where I'd go, but I wanted to travel. Now, the group at this location had another campground in Quito, Ecuador. And that's the place where I chose as my little part of the world to evangelize. The only problem was I didn't know the language, but I was determined to go. I arrived in Quito in January 1977. The group was situated at the foot of the beautiful Andes Mountains. The camp was situated in such a way that crowds of people could come in and take part in services. Uh, They had basketball courts, they had a tennis court, they had a lake, so you could take part not only in services but other activities. Now, the group members traveled to different parts of Ecuador, or they would go to other countries in South America. My first attempt at evangelization was in the jungle of Ecuador. I accompanied people who spoke the language, but, you know, somehow I was able to understand when they spoke to me, although I was too afraid to speak because I didn't want to be seen as wrong, but I really had a pretty basic understanding of what they were trying to tell me. So I recall going into a jungle where there was this little boy who went ahead of us running and there were sharp stones and branches that that didn't bother him and he was in his bare feet. And I would have thought that there there had been blood coming from his feet, but I guess they were so so used to all that that he was doing that he didn't have any problems. So, and as we walked through the wooded area, I remember looking up at one of the trees and I saw this little monkey sitting on a branch. It was so cute. And so when we reached the place where the natives lived, it was unlike anything I had ever seen before, except in old Tarzan-like movies. 
Their living arrangements included huts that were made out of, I would say, bamboo material. And their beds were hammocks made of similar material like bamboo. And the hammocks were tied to poles with ropes. I remember when I went to bed one evening, I saw these huge bugs crawling in and out of the bamboo walls. And I put a blanket over my head and could barely breathe. And it was hot, but I didn't care. I didn't want any of those bugs crawling on me. So we were only there for a few days, but it is something I will never forget. We returned to the campgrounds in Quito to give a report of our efforts. Then it was back to the usual routine, work and church services. On another occasion, I traveled with a small group outside of Ecuador to the country of Peru. Again, there was a language barrier, but fortunately the others could speak it and I could understand some of it. Little did I know that this mission would be my last as a member of the group. We traveled high up in the hills to a location in Peru called Cerro de Pasco. It was 14,210 feet above sea level. I could clearly see snow on the mountaintops. We entered a small church building where services were held that evening. I remember that during the service, I had a grand mal seizure and collapsed. When I woke up, I found myself in bed. I don't remember what time it was when I woke up, but my companions explained to me through words and hand gestures that I had seizures throughout the night. Only one other time had that happened to me. It was on my 16th birthday at my home when I went into one seizure after another. The doctor was called in and told my mom that I could have died. Now, in a foreign country, I came close to death again. Well, I couldn't remain in Peru because of my health condition. So I got on one of their buses, which was an old rickety thing like a school bus, and I went back to Quito. I thought I would be welcomed by the leader with some warmth and concern for my health. But that wasn't the case. I was greeted with criticism. He said to me, how could you leave and not remain there to save souls? You have no faith. So-and-so had hepatitis and she didn't abandon her mission. Well, I was shocked. No concern, no compassion, only reprimands. Well, that was the moment my eyes were opened. I didn't need to be deprogrammed. I finally saw the truth and I knew I had to leave. And not just Quito, but the camp in the States too. When I told the leader in Quito I was returning to my parents' home, he sat back and laughed at me. I didn't care. I had enough. And I got on a plane and returned home. I was exhausted, malnourished, and in a mental fog from my experiences of the past year. I entered into a deep depression as a result of those experiences. After hearing this story, you would think that I avoided religious organizations altogether. But not me. That's not the way I operate. 
I continued my quest to find a group of people who valued living a spiritual life. But until that happened, how was I to deal with this need to belong? Ignore it? Tell myself other things in life were much more important? No, I couldn't stop my quest. But I had to temper it with meeting personal and family needs. So I continued my quest in different ways. I remember working as a counselor at a mental health facility where people were admitted for short and long-term treatment. I assisted a gentleman who, among other things, struggled with alcoholism. He attended AA meetings frequently. On a few occasions, I accompanied him to the meetings. The first thing that stood out to me was a sense of camaraderie. Although their life experiences were very different, the common thread was to support each other in their goal to stop drinking. As I sat through the meeting, I was deeply touched by the atmosphere of friendship. At the conclusion of the meeting, they all stood and said the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I actually found myself wishing I could be a member of that group. My experience there showed me how powerful it is to feel that one belongs to something where each of you share common goals. Group meetings, for whatever the reasons they're formed, can be a powerful means of meeting our need to belong. But what other options are there if you can't find such a group? In my case, I began looking to find answers in some, kind of, in some of the scriptures. That was always my first thought uh, because I studied the scriptures a lot in my life and I would always return to the scriptures to see how they described things that are happening in our lives today because I don't believe their lives are all that different than ours today. So I thought, well, let me see what it might say or hint at that has to do with relationships, sense of belonging, and feeling connected. So I went to uh, Genesis chapter 2, where it talks about that Adam, having been created by God, lived in the Garden of Eden, surrounded by everything beautiful to see and touch, with animals all around him to bring him pleasure. Then the author writes that God said it was not good for man or humans to be alone. So from these, those words, we read about the beginnings of family life, neighborhoods, societies, countries. And, you know, when you think about it, are we meant to go it alone in life with occasional encounters with people? Based on just this, this, these few verses, I don't believe we are. Because... God himself said it's not good for us to be alone. And if you look throughout the scriptures, which I have done, it is rarely recorded of individuals living in isolation, totally cut off from other people. I also recall reading in the Gospels about a widow 
whose son had died. She accompanied his casket to the cemetery. Jesus was walking by, and it says that when he saw her, he had compassion on her. Why? Because Jesus, who knew the Hebrew scriptures, recalled that God had compassion on widows and orphans, the very ones that were left alone and in a vulnerable state. So he went to the casket, told the mother to not weep, brought her son to life, and gave him back to her. The moral of this account, I believe, is the importance God places on relationships. But what are some practical solutions that will help us meet this need to belong? I gave the example of one type of group I attended. There are other groups that meet for recreational purposes and for spiritual practices, such as prayer and Bible study, support groups with specific goals for its members, and much more based on your interests or needs. I can truthfully tell you from my brief experiences of interpersonal relationships in a group setting that there are no words I can use to describe what I felt being among people who had similar goals and needs. I sensed a connection with the people which gave me a sense of meaning and purpose. Since the end of the pandemic, we've also seen an increase of online groups. In addition, apps are being created where professionals are hired to videotape lessons based on their expertise, which can then be accessed anytime and anywhere by people. It seems like some companies are realizing how much people need to interact with others, even through virtual means. One such example is the app called Aura, A-U-R-A. It's made for iOS and Android devices. It helps users to improve their emotional well-being, among other goals. The instructors create videos on topics and even have live sessions where you can interact with the instructors and the participants. I realize that we all have different ideas of what we can fulfill our need to belong. I only gave a few examples, but the most important part of this podcast is that all of us have an innate need to belong. In psychological literature, Researchers write that if this need to belong is not met, there could be an impact on one's mental wellness, such as depression, anxiety, or feelings of isolation. This need is more profound than probably any of us have ever realized. So I encourage you to think about what I shared with you today and create a list of ways that may appeal to you. There are many other options out there, such as attending a church, synagogue, or mosque, volunteering for an organization that reaches out to needy people, having a get-together with your family, and so on. Give it some thought. I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at jlweavr at yahoo.com or go to my pages on LinkedIn, Facebook, and X, formerly known as Twitter. You will also find access to my website there. Share your comments 
on, the, on those platforms. And you can always share my, your comments on my website. So until the next episode, my dear readers and listeners, <laughs> this is Janice Weaver reminding you that your life matters to God.